Well, today we are continue in our bedrock series as we, uh, as we consider the things that we build our mission on, the, the most important things that we build our mission on. And I think worship is one of those things. And so the, there's a multitude of passages that we could choose from. Uh, you know, one of them was Colossians 3, where Paul talks about letting the message of Christ dwell among you richly uh, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. And I was thinking about that one, and after listening to this, that, that may have been a really appropriate one to do, because is that word for psalms right there, sing with psalms? The, that's the Greek word psalmos, which literally means to bang on a musical instrument like a stringed instrument, and a secondary meaning to psalmos is twanging. So Jesus likes him some country music. So uh, maybe we should have gone there, but I, I settled on a couple verses that Paul writes to the church in Rome. And as we talk about what worship means, we're just going to scratch the surface of this topic uh, but it is a foundational element. It is one of the foundational principles upon which we build the mission of the church because worshiping God is just an essential part of us being followers of Christ. And my experience tells me that many times the concept or notion of worship, which is huge, gets narrowed down. And, and a lot of times we run the risk of talking about worship in a way that suggests that worship is what happens between nine and noon at churches around the area and the world uh, every Sunday morning. And, and we start to narrow in that definition and we assume that when we come to church, that's the only time that we worship God. And even narrower still, sometimes uh, there are people who understand uh, worship to be specifically the songs that we sing during the worship hour between you know nine and noon or so at churches around the country. So, so we've narrowed it in from a huge topic down to what we do on Sunday mornings when we gather, which certainly is part of it, and narrower still to simply the music that we sing during that time when we are all collected together. And this morning, what I wanted to do was to start to broaden that definition and consider all of the things that a worshiping community needs to think about as we talk about this topic of worship. See, it's a, it's a much larger concept than simply what we are doing here right now. We might say that... Um, Worship is praise and adoration and glorification of God, which takes place both corporately and privately. Corporately through the Word and the sacraments when we participate in the Lord's Supper and in the songs that we sing and in the prayers that we pray and in the preaching of the Word that we have and the teaching of the Scriptures, but also in a very private way through personal Scripture reading and personal prayer and so forth. See, as a church, we want to be a place uh, that is full of people who, who avidly worship God in both private and in public places. That's starting to broaden out the defini definition a little bit. But you know what? 
I think, I think it goes even deeper and broader than that. See, worship is complete devotion to God, period. Worship is your response to what you value most. See, your response of worship really shows a passion for what it is that you value. I mean, when boys and girls enter into relationships, uh, oftentimes it can be said, or and you hear it, oh, he worships the ground she walks on. I'm sure you've heard that one. He values that relationship, and so his passion is aligned with, oh my goodness, this is the most awesome thing that's ever happened to me. I know that I thought that about Lisa. She's shaking her head. No. <laughs> Um, or you look at it when kids idolize a sports figure. You know, they, I, I read a, one time about a kid who his entire high school career, he wore a Brett Favre jersey to school every single day. He idolized Brett Favre. Brett Favre, if you don't remember, was the quarterback of the best team, Green Bay Packers. Um, <laughs> we don't need a 12th man, if you know what I'm saying. I know, that was cheap. <laughs> See, worship is your response to what you value. And, and Jesus talks about this in Mark uh, chapter, 20, or, uh, chapter 12, uh, in verse 29. Somebody had approached him and asked Jesus, what's the most uh, important commandment? And Jesus says the most important one in verse 29 uh, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one. And here's the verses. Love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus addresses this topic of worship in, in these verses right here. He says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What he's saying is that you have to love the Lord. You have to worship God with your whole self, not just with part of you. Everything about you is involved, your body and your soul and your mind. So we could say that worship is our response to all that God is with all that we are. See, worship is my response to what God has done for me. Worship is my response to God's redeeming activity in my life. It's my response to His grace that He has extended to me. See, worship, when you really think about it, it's a lifestyle choice. When it gets right down to the nitty-gritty, the biggest definition of worship is that that we live in response to God, and it's a lifestyle choice. Paul picks up on, on this in the text that I want to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd invite you to open them to Romans chapter 12. And as you're doing that, would you stand as I read? It's just two verses, very short text, but this is one of those texts that comes at us like a fastball. Um, if you follow baseball at all and, and you watch the interaction between a pitcher and hitter, once in a while the hitter tries to take advantage of the situation and, and crowd the plate. 
to get every advantage on the pitcher. The, the, the batter will position themselves in a box to, to gain an advantage. And the pitcher, once in a while, will intentionally throw the ball very close to the batter. We might call it a brushback pitch. It might be up and in, high and tight. That ball comes near the batter's chin. Why? Because the pitcher wants to send a message to the batter that there is a fastball coming and it has your name on it. And I'm in control of this situation and you need to back off the plate. It's a little chin music. And the text that we're going to read, these two verses come across as... I don't want to say harmless, because the, they're not harmless, but, but we just read them, and we've heard them over and over and over again, and some of the teeth come out of it. And, and this text is one of those fastballs that's up and in. It's high and tight. It's a little bit of chin music when we really think about it. These are the words of Paul to the church in Rome. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. See, this is a direct challenge to the church in Rome. Um, these verses would have come at them like that fastball that we were talking about. Um, Paul starts it off with, with the word, therefore. Well, therefore is an important word. Therefore is a word of transition. Paul is moving from one thought process to, an, to another, and and. What Paul has done in the first 11 chapters is make a case, and now he is saying, okay, after all of that, after everything that I've said in chapters 1 through 11, therefore, we need to move on from here like this. And, and what Paul is doing, Paul is a very practical uh, thinker. Paul is a very deep and theological person and can lay out an argument like the best of them, but at his core, Paul wants everything to make sense and, and to demonstrate for us and to tell us how it is that because of this, we should live like this. And the, this is the transition between the first part of, of the uh, letter that he wrote to Rome and, and the remaining part in chapters you know, 12 and following. Paul wants them to get it through their heads that because of what God has done for them, you need to live like this. My papa would have said, you need to straighten up and fly right. Paul has just made an argument in the first part of the book, and now he's saying, therefore. And the case that he has made is that all humans are sinners, without exception, and are in desperate need of God. That's a summary of the case that Paul has made in the first part of this letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. And he says, because all are sinners, no exception, and because of what God has done for you to redeem you with his work of Jesus on the cross, that speaks something into your life that should change you from the inside, and you should, from this point, therefore, you should live differently. Because of this, you should live this way. Now, he was preaching into a culture the Roman culture, uh, that took pride in the many rights and freedoms that they had 
as a Roman people. Uh, they were pretty loose with their living. They were very sexually promiscuous. They were gluttons. Um, they pressed their legal rights as Roman citizens uh, over people. They oppressed people. And, and, and so Romans were pretty loose in their living. And Paul is saying here to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, one that's holy, one that's pleasing to God. See, the, the Roman people, they didn't have a very high opinion of the body. So when Paul says, offer your body, and he's talking just like Jesus did about uh, body, soul, mind. You know, we talk about strength that represents the physical nature. So when Paul says, offer your body, he is including not just your thoughts and the core of who you are, but your body, quite literally, as a living sacrifice. This would have gotten the attention of the people of Rome because they viewed the human body as kind of a, like handcuffs for the spirit. They viewed the, the, the human body as a prison for the soul. And at death, they applauded death because it just freed the spirit to go off and, and live in a much lighter condition. The human body was looked at as very heavy. And so therefore, if you don't have a high opinion of your body, you don't take care of it. You don't care about it. So for them, um, we're just waiting till we die so we can get rid of this earthly prison that we call our body so that we can, uh, you know, we can treat it however we want. We can sleep with whoever we want. We can eat as much as we want. We can drink as much as we want. They didn't care because their body was just going to go bye-bye. But that's not a Christian view at all. God cares about our bodies. And Paul tells them, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, one that's holy and pleasing to God. See, your body belongs to God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is telling them, you need to turn this right knowledge that we just laid out in the first part of the book into right living. This is worship, says Paul. See, worship is a lifestyle choice, giving up rights that we might have for a different benefit. Uh, lifestyle choice in, in our culture today, we, we hear that once in a while. Uh, and it typically refers to people who choose to live uh, in, a particular, um, in a particular fashion. They are enslaved to something that consumes them and it defines who they are. And we call it, well, that's just their lifestyle choice. And your friends may tell you that you have every right to participate in the things that the Bible says leads to your death, in the things that the Bible says are just flat-out sin. And I know we don't like that word sin in our culture anymore, but the Bible still has that as a word that's in here, and I don't think that we can't not address it. And so... Your friends may tell you that the sin that's in your life is okay and that you have every right to be doing that. Um, it could be your sexual choices. It could be uh, being enslaved to an addiction, whether it's food or alcohol or coffee or anything. 
There's just things that get in and distract our attention and that we focus on and we build our lives around. Uh, it could be vanity. It could be selfish pride that shapes our lives. Um, and the world says loudly and very persuasively that it's okay, that you have every right to live your life this way and nobody else can tell you differently, that if it feels right, then it is right for you, that there's no higher uh, truth than what you determine is truth in your own life. That's what the world preaches regularly and very persuasively. See, the world says, the world says that you have the right to define what truth looks like in your life. And Paul is suggesting something different here. And I would say that um, for the most part, the world is right. You do have a choice. Fair to say? Um, Jesus does not force you into anything. Jesus does not take his love and shove it down your throat and force you to bend and bow down to him. Jesus doesn't force you into that. Although he does say that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, you have a choice to believe that this book, that this Bible, that the words that we have been giving and, and we call the living, breathing Word of God, you have a choice in whether or not you believe that it's authoritative and speaks truth into your life. I happen to choose that. See, Paul has, is making the argument earlier. He says, all humans are sinners, no exceptions. And there's sin that entangles and snares us and, and drags us down. It's like when you're swimming in open water and you come across a patch of seaweed and the seaweed starts to wrap around your legs and you feel, uh, you feel restrained and you start to panic and you feel like the seaweed is pulling you down. Sin in your life will wrap around your legs like seaweed and pull you underwater. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift that God has given you is freedom through Jesus. It's the gift of eternal life. See, we are free from being slaves to sin through the work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you. It is an amen. See, when we choose to accept this gift, it calls us out of those self-destructive ways. It's an act of worship. It's a lifestyle choice. Jesus calls you to make a lifestyle choice. And Paul reminds us by saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Right thinking leads to right living. Paul also says, um, I urge you to offer your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. Now those aren't two words that we generally put together. When I think about uh, a sacrifice in the Old Testament sense, I think about a dead animal on a stone altar. And, and Paul here is talking about uh, a sacrifice that is what? It is living. I had to give my cat a bath recently. Um, you can imagine the picture in your mind. He was not thrilled. His name is Scooter. He's about 18 pounds. He's a big cat. And I put him in the sink, and I gave him a bath. 
and he didn't want any part of it. Now, he did okay. He wasn't the, uh, he didn't uh, hiss and meow at me terribly. He did tell me what he thought. (laughs) And he did push very heavily against my body and my arms to try and escape the torture that I was subjecting him to. I had to give a cat a bath. And that's the picture that's been stuck in my head when I think about a living sacrifice. Being a living sacrifice is kind of like giving a cat a bath. The cat does not want to be in the sink under water. The cat wants to be somewhere else. We would prefer to be anything but up on an altar giving our everything to God. And so we have the propensity to crawl down off that altar like a cat is trying to escape a bath. And that's where it gets a little bit challenging for us. When Paul says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, one that's holy and pleasing, he says this is your true and proper worship. But we would prefer to follow our own path. We'd prefer to pursue our own agenda. We we would prefer to hold on to as, as much control as we can. And when we're up on that altar and we want to get off to pursue our own personal preferences, we lose sight of the fact that we have claws and we have words that wound other people. And the cat, when it's trying to get out of the bath, the cat, Scooter, he does not care if he claws me on his way out of the tub. He doesn't care if he leaves scratches on my arms. And as a living sacrifice, when we are up on that altar and we have laid everything out there and given it to God, and something comes along, whether it be in our life or in the constant, somewhere in in uh, our circles of influence at school or at work or at church or what we are doing here in, in, in these moments, when something doesn't meet our liking and we crawl down off that altar, we forget that we have claws. And we forget that the way we respond selfishly sometimes hurts and wounds other people. Paul says... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, it's really easy to get distracted, crawl down off of that altar. We do it when we, when we feel the Holy Spirit nudge us to help somebody to share our faith with a coworker, and we don't. We crawl down off that altar when the Holy Spirit nudges us to help somebody financially, and we figure, we figure you know, that's not in our budget right now, and, and we don't. We crawl down off that altar when the Holy Spirit nudges us to stand up for somebody at school who's getting picked on and really can't help themselves, and we just turn a blind eye and we walk past We crawl down off that altar when we hear people talking about somebody else. You might call it gossip, 
And the Holy Spirit says, you know what? You could end this cycle of gossip right now. But because it's so exciting, scintillating, that you either participate or do nothing. That's crawling down off the altar. And in essence, when we do that and the Holy Spirit has nudged us and we know without a shadow of a doubt that that's God talking to us and we ignore it, essentially what we're saying is, God, you're not important enough to honor. And Paul is calling us out. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. That is your worship. When everything that you say, everything that you believe, everything that you profess gets put into action in your life and other people can see it, that is an act of worship, says Brother Paul. But I've never found myself stumbling upon an altar. Have you? I've never been walking down the street and all of a sudden found that I'm standing on an altar. It takes an intentional choice to be a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament sense, the animal didn't have a choice. The animal was killed and put up on an altar. And Paul says, no, that's not how it works for us. You're a living sacrifice. Offer. That means we have participation in this. But it's one that transforms us. So what did Paul say? He said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we intentionally put ourselves up on that altar as a living sacrifice, God comes in and it's transformation through adoration. Because when all we can see, when all that we do, when all that we say and every action and activity and thought that comes out of our mind is, is about God and the unmerited and undeserved grace that he has poured out upon us, well, that changes our outlook a bit. And when we're so focused on that, all these other little things that get in our way that we call personal preferences, you know, they don't matter so much anymore when we're following where God wants us to go and pursuing his mission and his vision for this community, and we are lifting his name up above all others, when he is the only choice on our worship menu is to say thank you to God for what he has done for us, everything else kind of just falls into place. I don't know, but I want to walk. I, I want to crawl down off of that altar once in a while. Because I'd... I'd prefer to make my own choices once in a while. And Paul, he throws that fastball up and in. It's high and tight. I can feel the breeze coming by. He says, no, offer your body as a living sacrifice, one that is holy and pleasing to God. This, brothers and sisters, is true worship.